Hello and welcome to What's the Point, the podcast where we discuss the need for arts and humanities today. I'm your host, Bryony Armstrong. We're living in a time when the arts and humanities are under threat, and I know this firsthand, having studied both English and maths at university, and now doing a PhD in English. Each week, I'll be joined by a guest to talk about what arts and humanities do for the world. If you've ever wondered, what's the point of the arts and humanities, then this is the podcast for you. Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in to What's the Point today. Before we start, I just want to draw your attention to the most recent humanities departments in the UK facing cuts and job losses. These are the departments of English, Theatre and Creative Writing, Politics, Philosophy, Film, Media and Cultural Studies and Language, Cultures and Applied Linguistics at Birkbeck College, University of London. So some of you will have heard that many of the staff in these departments are currently being faced with redundancy, despite being members of world-leading departments. This is a particularly worrying case because Birkbeck plays an important role in widening participation in humanities, and that's because it has one of the most diverse student bodies nationally, including lots of mature students and first-generation degree students. So I've been seeing testimonies all over Twitter by people who attended Birkbeck and some of them were able to get that education because of their evening study programme that allows people to combine study with work and other commitments. These are exactly the kind of cuts we've been talking about on the podcast and these are the material things happening that mean we need to be spreading the message of the worth of the arts and humanities. So if you want to support Birkbeck staff, you can start by signing the petition on change.org that I'll leave in the show notes below. So now let's get on to today's episode. My guest today is Norma Gregory, who is a historian researching black coal miners in Britain, a heritage arts broadcaster, and an author of two books on the black experience in the UK. Norma is the founder and director of the Black Miners Museum Project, which grows partnerships with existing mining and industrial museums to integrate narratives and representations of coal miners of black African Caribbean heritage and other diverse groups. Her Digging Deep project is gathering national narratives from across the UK and currently travelling as an exhibition. I hope you enjoy the episode. So how did you come to choose a humanities subject? Um, well, I, I really enjoy um, understanding more about people um, and helping people, um, learning from others as well. So um, I, I really got into history um, through my learning in, uh, about literature, English literature and language was what I studied in, in my undergraduate degree um, and I worked in schools for a number of years in London and Nottingham. So working in education for 13 years was another one of my kind of backbone um, pillars of my kind of knowledge but um, my passion was really preserving history and heritage um, and black history in, um, in particular. So, so basically my kind of knowledge is around various subjects in humanities, um, because you need you need that you need that kind of um, wider spread um, of of knowledge areas to to kind of focus on on something specific. Mm, yeah, and they're so interlinked as well. I find English and history. Sometimes I 
sort of explain what people do in English literature by saying like, well, imagine if you're studying history, but your evidence is a novel and not necessarily an artifact yeah. or an interview or something. Um, I don't know if you've found that there's lots of links between your study of literature and then history now. Yes, very much. I'm passionate about books, as you can see, like in my <laughs> office here where I work, I've got books all around me. Um, so I, I, I really like to read and, and learn about all different kind of things. But I also do like to see my culture represented in in books. Um, so really, my kind of move into, into heritage and history was because I wasn't finding enough um, positivity written about my culture. Uh, my, I'm Jamaican um, of African heritage. So I just thought really um, following my degree at St. Mary's, um, that was 1996 to 99, in, in English literature and language and theology and religious studies, I just really found myself just moving into more work around creating new content um, and yeah, looking at history, looking at um, my culture in this country, my my um, the African diaspora in the UK, um, looking at yeah, where are we in the books? Um, and anything that I didn't find, I thought right, I need to create create it, write it, uh, do exhibitions, uh, make uh, television broadcasts, radio podcasts. So I'm very much into media production as that is also my kind of training. Um, I really wa wanted to be a journalist many years ago and went to university to study English in order to be a journalist. So, but I didn't really, I mean, I still, I work a lot in the media um, now. I'm not a journalist, but I use those skills that I, I learned um, before I went to university. I did two years um, sitting girls in radio and print journalism. Um, and I use those skills now, documenting history and sharing history. So, so, so again, it's just getting using what you know to, to create new content that educates and enlightens and inspires. Mm, that's amazing. And am I right in saying that you have done a short course as well in curating at the Royal College of Art? Yes. Yes, I did. Yes, 2019. Um, I, I applied um, to, to study there for a week. It was a part of a summer, um, I think it was July that year, 2019. Absolutely brilliant course. Um, I was so proud to have got in because I know it's very competitive to get into the Royal College of Art. Um, but I had to learn, I needed to learn about curating all the kind of the history and all the content that I'd been creating over the years. How do you showcase that and how do you put it together that people enjoy it, um, people can access it um, through uh, different forms such as um, using audio for um, embedding audio as QR codes in, in, in um, educational you know resources. Um, and different ways of just presenting things, creating art. I often get um, work with artists now and commission them to make new art so I can put them in our exhibition, which is still touring. I'm still touring the Digging Deep um, Black Miners uh, Heritage exhibition after five years. I can't believe it. Well, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's interesting for people, I think. Um, that's why it's still on tour. But yeah, I use that knowledge I got from the Royal, Royal College of Art to interpret the history that I uh, found through 10 years of research. So yeah, it's just been a fabulous, a fantastic journey. Um, yes, it's taken me to different places. I travel a lot now, um, taking the history 
to places as opposed to having a physical building. Um, I don't, the Black Miners Museum isn't a physical museum, but it is a, it's one, it's a traveling museum in that we take our content um, to places um, and, and, and interpret it in different ways in order that um, people, everyone can access it all over the world. And that's what we want. We want kind of, I want history um, to be, yeah, globally accessible. People all over the world can understand what, um, what happened in the UK um, and the people who contributed to the UK, which is a, a, a mix, a multicultural, Britain is multicultural. So therefore our history should be multicultural, should be representative of of who was really there, who who were the groups, who were the people who actually, um, who make up this country. Um, so I'm just really passionate about ensuring um, culture and, and social history is representative and true, you know, a true, a truer, more kind of, um, I mean, the word true is very <laughs> difficult to have anything that's 100% true. But just for me, it's having, um, adding pieces to the jigsaw. I call, I call life a jigsaw puzzle. Uh, I call history. Mm -hmm. The history books jigs is jigsaw in that there are many pieces missing. Um, but I think it's my, I don't really like to complain about things, complain that these pieces of, of history are missing from our books and television. Um, but I believe in making them, make the pieces, <laughs> put them in the jigsaw if we can't find the pieces. Uh, and why aren't the pieces there in the first place? That's another issue. You know, all, all these pieces of, of history, the jigsaw, have they been destroyed? Which many archives and many um, cultural objects have been destroyed or stolen or removed from public awareness. So that's another another big uh, challenge that we, mm. we need to address. Mm. Yeah, and I, I, I believe the, um, the uh, Digging Deep exhibition will be coming to Durham soon. So I will be one of the people <laughs> Uh, attending going to see it I'm really excited um so all that yeah. the heritage work that um you're describing you've described it before as as social history um so can you tell us about sort of what social history is and what social history entails yeah well my understanding I'm not I'm not a true kind of sociologist in that I didn't do a degree in sociology or PhD um I just find myself um as a historian a, ho a historian first of all is a person who um looks back at historical events looks at analyzes historical events that have been recorded or not or which or events that have not been recorded um and sets about looking at that um, either collating it, um, f finding evidence about historical events that's happened in the past and uh, documenting it, archiving it, but sharing it. I think that's another element that a lot of historians may overlook or may not spend a lot of time on, which is the sharing part, i.e. educating the world, having it available so the world can understand, anyone can understand it um and learn from it so for so that's my kind of um concept of a historian um and a social historian therefore for me is is because the work i'm doing the the research i'm looking at involves people it involves social groups so the social group i focus on is the um 
African diaspora in the UK. So the so the black British black British history. That's my kind of focus. Why do I do that? Is because I am I am from that. I am in that community. I'm in that social group. So basically, what it means for me as a researcher is that I can. I, I have had kind of better access to data, to information, to individuals that I need to speak to, to archives that I need to access. Um, being, yeah, being who I am, everyone's, everyone is individual. Being who I am, which is a black female British woman of African heritage descent living in the UK, I am in a privileged position in that I can actually access um, social groups of all kind, but particularly ones relating to black uh, presence, the black presence in the UK. So so basically what I'm saying is that I'm in a u unique position to find the, the information, the data that that I need to understand who I am, to understand my local community, our national um, community, as part of the global community so so that's that's it really so this a socio historian just focuses more on um documenting social social history people society groups and how they interact or not i think that's that's the kind of definition i would give it i know there's going to be many other um definitions out there mm. they will be <laughs> but that's my <laughs> perspective <laughs> Yeah, and I think what you're saying there really speaks to the point that um, whether or not you actually choose to do arts and humanities at degree level or just pursue your interests in a different way, we need diversity of um, opinion and of knowledge it, with the people who are pursuing sort of arts and humanities adjacent topics so that people can access certain communities and provide, as you said, true information about what British history or global history actually looks like. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, so you've talked a bit about you're, you're not a historian by, by training, but now you have, you have become a historian. Um, so what kind of skills do you think you need to be a social historian and sort of where in your story do you feel like you've picked up and developed those skills? Yeah, well, well I think the main skills um, of being a historian, social historian, cultural historian, um, I think is passion. Um, passion drives me every single day. Um, the passion is around understanding who I am, why I'm here, why my family's here, um, why, how our community is here, what we've done over the years, what we're doing now. It's just been about answering questions that I've had over the last, I'm, I'm 53 now, over my lifetime. These questions I've been asking and I haven't had many answers in the past, but I've been able to answer some of those questions now. Um, being a researcher and being a person who questions things a lot more where I think when I was younger I never questioned things very much I was a bit afraid and not very confident but now I do have the confidence to look at things a bit more analytically um, to work things out and evaluating things so um, a bit I'm a bit more inquisitive now um, but I've also realized that um, you know what I've learned is about sharing and enlightening and, and and making other people also start to just look at things ask ask more questions in their own time and in their own way um, so all the skills I think um, are really good for being a historian is um, obviously 
you do need to like books, but like reading, but I don't think it's um, the central element. I think that you you will find data or information in many different places and not just books. Um, I found a lot of my research speaking directly to people. So into finding minors and interviewing them, sitting down with them, recording interviews, um, looking at objects related to my area of study, which is again is mining. So looking at artifacts, mining objects and, and things related. Um, uh, creating media content. So interpret using the information that I found to then uh, interpret and make it um, accessible, i.e. young people, people like to see videos. They don't necessarily like to read books any as much. So using content research material to create media is a good way of uh, letting people access that information. It doesn't have to be in books. Being able to listen to something online, being able to watch a program, being able to um, go 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 and visit, you know, a museum or whatever, it's all part of um, the research and and ways of presenting uh, information now now in the digital age that that we're in. Mm, yeah, it's it's really interactive. It's it's nice yeah. to hear sort of like current historians embracing that um, interactive idea, especially earlier when you touched on QR codes as well. Um, I've used yeah. those in museums before and found them really helpful. Um, so I actually came across your work, um, as you know, because you came to Durham um, recently to give a talk about your Digging Deep project. Um, and in this talk, you encourage the graduate students among us um, to use their research to help people. Um, so I have a, a stepmom who's a nurse and I have quite a lot of friends who are doctors and I think sort of often the traditional way that people think about having a job that helps people, quote unquote, might be something like medicine or becoming a therapist. Um, but I, I loved your conceptualization of helping people through heritage because um, it kind of expands those ideas of how we can help people. Um, so can you tell us a little about how your heritage work um, on black mining history helps people um, that you found? Yes, uh, well, it's helped people in a number of ways over many years and, and, and still doing so. Um, first of all, um, meeting the miners that um, that I've interviewed as part of this, this the Digging Deep project, finding them, first of all, was a, a, was a big job, um, locating them and speaking to people, finding out who, who were who were the miners and where, where they were. And um, yeah, helping people. Um, first of all, the miners um, found the, the conversation itself therapeutic. Um, they all of them, most of them that I'd interviewed said I was the first person to ask them about their experience of mining since they left uh, the, the, the work um, as miners. Uh, some of their families hadn't even asked them about that. So um, so mental health, um, improving mental health has been a, a key part of my work. Again, I'm not a therapist. <laughs> I've done, um, I've studied mentoring. I've worked as a mentor in schools in London. So I understand the, 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 um, the technique of mentoring. So that was called in to, to um, help me um, be a researcher, is being able to listen and to um, ask the questions, but to accept them for what they are and accept what the person was saying. So, so yeah, improving mental health has been a key kind of success um, for 
for the work. Um, also, bringing people together. Um, I've hosted two miners reunions um, where the miners that I interviewed at, again got together. They'd not seen each other for 20, 30 years. And just having just having that space to be in a room together um, and I've got a beautiful photograph of all the miners together um, that was that was special and important to have because again that that photo was not in existence before it you know before we kind of did this I, I, I took on this research so um, so my work has helped archives. Um, we've been able to create the Black Miners Museum th through the content. Um, we've given people jobs. We've worked with artists, commissioned them to make new art, art pieces, art paintings and stained glass. We've made a stained glass window featuring a black miner. So we've been able to pay people, giving people jobs um, essentially um, and giving people work experience. Um, and yeah, community engagement, a lot of our the work we've done we've been able to invite um the public through uh, webinars and online um presentations through reunions kind of like celebratory events through talks and and walks as well heritage walks so it's just been it's just been absolutely brilliant that we've been able to um branch out into different areas of uh, socializing you know what I mean it doesn't always have to be in the pub where people socialize it can be through heritage um, and learning about the past um, but also encouraging people to look into their own journey their own uh, family history say um, for example or their own local history just finding out a bit more what happened in the town where you live what was going on here 10 years ago 50, 30 years ago um, it's just fascinating, but but then link it to you know look at the issues and challenges that we've got today. How how is it related? How has your local community changed from uh, ten years ago or thirty years ago? The miners' strike was nineteen eighty four and eighty five. It affected Nottinghamshire greatly as well as um, the north and um, Newcastle area, Durham, um, Yorkshire. And, and all the Kent, you know, all the all the mining areas, Wales, um, and other places. You know, there's many different mining areas, but that's had a massive. Um, that's left a massive footprint in, in our er local areas. But how how does it affect the services you have today? How does it affect um, who's living in in the local area today? So there's many things about the past that really are still here in the present and still very much um, visible all around us for instance like with mining again um, there's mining everywhere there's, there's there's remnants of mining everywhere um, everywhere you go there's pit wheels um, there's uh, railway tracks there's the canals they were all part of the link to, to mining so um, it's all around us coal is all around us um, will always be all around us so just understanding what what's here what's the resources that we have and and looking at ways of um shaping things that encourage life and encourage um allow people all people to live and work um freely and in a healthy healthy way mm. so that's what i kind of how i use my um humanities 
um, knowledge and experience skills that I've, I've, I've learned over the years. It's, it's, it's for that purpose. It has to be for that purpose. How do we, how do we um, shape things? And we've all got to actually help in the process. It can't be just historians, social historians, doing the, all the work, <laughs> uh, looking at the past and shaping the past because we, we there aren't enough anyway. Um, but everyone, I think it's all, all hands on deck, I call it, with this one in that everyone's got a role to play in um, shaping the world. Um, and it's all ages. It's not just young people. It's actually older people and, and middle-aged. I'm middle-aged now. Um, <laughs> you know, I've got a big part to play in that and, and others as well. So it's just recognising your um, your calling. I do use the phrase, um, life. my life's calling is the work that I'm doing now. I've actually got, I'm the only person in the world who can do what I'm doing now. <laughs> um, so it's just recognising your place in the world and what you have to do to help shape the world for the better and that's it there's that's it you, you know your studies are preparing you to take your position in the world when that you know when that will be how it will be it's your future but that's what your studies are there to do to help you think about the work you might not know what work you've got to do the work you've got to do in five or ten years time whenever you, you might not know because I didn't know what I didn't know I'd be doing this when I was at university I did not all I knew that I, I needed to find out a bit about my identity and I liked books I find them comforting to read um, I, but I found books that had books had stories had messages in them they were always about people they were always about humanity and some of the mistakes we make and some of the things we do as human beings and questioning that all the stories all the literature i read always about the human experience so that is core for literature in, in, in english you know when i was studying that and theology as well religious studies always about people's experience people's mm. beliefs how how we live what shapes what makes one person do a certain thing it was just asking those questions. So, um, so yes, I'm just saying, using your studies now, looking at the questions you're looking at in your studies, um, how are they going to help you? As long as they're helping you understand about human experience and the issues that we have, it, the issues all of us have, this humanity has, and solving, helping to solve some of those um, challenges and issues, I think that's it <laughs> that's the, that's the answer <laughs> yeah answer to life <laughs> and I, I think it's really important that people know exactly as you say that they have a role to play if yeah. if their skills don't lie in stem which a lot of people's don't a lot of people's skills do lie in talking to people gathering information reading and conveying ideas and if those are your skills, then you do have a role to play in, for example, helping people's mental health without necessarily being sort of a scientific mental health professional um, or doing something that creates jobs, as you say, maybe hiring artists and adding jobs to the economy. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's useful for people to know that all of those skills are welcome and needed in, as you say, the human experience and helping people. Yeah, definitely so. And I think during covid during the COVID pandemic lockdowns and things, you know, I think that period is really, I think it's woken a lot of people up to that, this, 
uh, to life um, and our our role we got to play and also um, respecting life and um, valuing life. I think it well it certainly did me. Um, I, I've, I've always valued life. I've always thought about these things, but during the lockdowns, you know, you just realise, wow, look at it, the things that you don't, you're not allowed to do right now, which is yeah. one of the things is going to the gym. I always go to the gym. Um, yeah, so so basically, I'm, I'm just trying to say that, you know, um, yeah, not wasting time and the time we have using that time to kind of shape, shape things for the better. That's what I can, that's what drives me for sure yeah. yeah yeah and um it's interesting you talk about sort of the going through the sort of shelter in place during COVID that I found it so interesting that a lot of the things that people were really missing were art related yeah. and people were just really trying to I don't know watch live streams of previously recorded plays or like operas or I watched a ballet um or people were going on Netflix way more and reading more and talking more about what they were reading and people were writing too um like Zadie Smith published um just a few months in her book of essays so it's just so interesting to me that arts and humanities are very disparaged but actually when a lot of things in life are taken away from us those are the things that we actually turn to interestingly yeah I totally agree yes I think that was one of the saviors i think art was one of the saviors for people for having time to read to draw to to sing all the choirs that were formed during covid um yeah it was intense and it made it made people i i mean for me it needs to make governments see that arts and humanities and music and creativity is essential for life it's not an add-on and it should never be that um, you can only access certain things because you're paying for it such as music um, like when my daughter was at school um, she was doing violin lessons it was free for a little time and then it was big fees after that and I couldn't afford mm. to, to, to pay so she had to stop that that kind of thing should should stop as well in that why should music only be accessible to people uh, music lessons say you know who could afford mm. them they should be available to everybody because it's therapeutic and it's good for mental health and it keeps you out of hospital um, because you're doing something creative you know what i mean so it has health benefits art um has health benefits you know so mm. I have to support the arts because it, it it's what keeps people alive. Literally, it, it keeps people well. Um, it it gets people socialising. Um, there's so many benefits for arts, um, and obviously the humanities come come in there um, because they're all people related and people focused. So, yeah, important. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, that is just music to my ears. Um, and so kind of like relatedly, all the work you do, I know that you do it with accessibility in mind yeah. for everybody. Um, so you've touched on this already, but sort of what does accessibility sort of mean to you in relation, especially to your Black Miners Museum project, um, but also in relation to sort of heritage and curatorial work in general, because I know amongst all the many things you do, you do also do heritage consultancy um, and project management as well. So sort of where does accessibility come into all of that? Yeah, I mean, access, being accessible, having information that's accessible, it, it comes in different different forms and layers. So obviously you've got physical accessibility, 
visibility such as like a museum being um uh, being made that people with disabilities or, or wheelchairs can, can physically get into the building and then there's um learning accessibility in that information how, how is that presented or interpreted that people with um, hearing difficulties or learning difficulties um, or like to learn in a particular way how can how can the information the research um, data that you find how can you share that that people all people can kind of get it understand it reach it um, engage with it so you do have to think about that. It's not it's not easy to do because there's many obviously there's many different ways of presenting information. Um so you have to think about that as a as a curator, um as a historian, as a writer. Um you have to think about how are people going to take this and are they going to understand it? Are they going to if it's a book, are they going to put it down halfway through or after the first <laughs> page? How are you going to get them hooked all the way to the end? You know, how are you going to get people coming to your exhibition? Um, learning from it how are you going to get people listening to your talks and things so um, so that's what pushes me to create things and be ready to change things and accept you know if you do make a mistake just always you know admit it if it's not right okay it's a learning curve <laughs> it's a learning <laughs> it's a lesson to learn you know what did you learn from it because I always ask myself that if I if I need to do something better I think what is it you know what I won't say what went wrong, but, you know, how did that, um, how was it not effective? What was the reason why? But just look at that and um, and get feedback from people as well. You know, what did you think? <laughs> um, what did you learn, if anything? Sometimes when mm -hmm. I was a teacher, it was often nothing. And I was like, how could you not learn nothing <laughs> from English, English <laughs> literature? Um but it was them, um, they did learn, you know, but they often, you know, students sometimes say, oh, they didn't learn anything. But there's always something to learn. Um, even just ask one question, you know, that's learning. If you can ask one question about something you've read or seen or experienced, um, reflected, something that you can reflect on, that's learning. It's not passing exams and getting an A. That's, that's not necessarily learning. It shows that you've memorized something but it's not actually learning. For me, learning is the reflective part. And I, th I think this is something that Arts and Humanities is good at, the getting people to ask questions and to your point of like asking questions is what knowledge is. And my experience of doing um, maths and English joint degree undergrad is that maths at even degree level was a lot of memorising and a lot of being told what to do, memorising it and then churning it out in an exam to get that A and not really asking that many questions necessarily as a route to success. Um, you can definitely do really well in a maths degree without sort of questioning what you're learning um, and by memorizing, by doing a lot of memorizing. And that's not the case, I think, for most arts and humanities related degrees, um, just because of the way the learning is structured. Um, and then you can take those skills that you learn from arts and humanities degrees of questioning and not memorizing into the real world all the time. I mean, I use my skills from English education every single day and I haven't used anything <laughs> from my maths degree since I graduated, which is so counter to what people see as sort of quote unquote useful, I think. And the thing is, I think the system pushes a lot of, especially like young people to do maths 
to do maths degrees they're kind of science maths science technology degrees they, they really push people to do that um but i think i think the system wants they want a certain types of people to do certain types of jobs um because the maths students they'll probably go into banking jobs and other jobs that do with figures you know um it's all helpful and useful because we do need to understand budgets because <laughs> i deal with budgets all the time i'm having to um you know what's spending what, what what are we spending funding on or income you know so you do need that knowledge um yeah it doesn't excite me that much <laughs> It doesn't excite me. <laughs> yeah, and like we were saying earlier, it's sort of about people figuring out what does excite them and where they're best placed yeah, to make a difference. Exactly. And then they pursue yeah. th they pursue their passions and they pursue the yeah. things that they have um, sort of aptitude for. Um, yeah. So just sort of one last question to end, and this is maybe a slightly big question, um, but you, you've talked about how your work is contributing to a, a global story. Um, the work that you're doing specifically about... Um, so, um, black British heritage, but that is part of a global story. Um, so how do you kind of see the relationship between arts and humanities and the learning you've had and that point of sort of contributing to a global story and helping people? Yeah, I, I think, back to COVID, I think the realisation that we are very close, very close to neighbours across the world, mm -hmm. um, and we all have shared stories um, and shared experiences. Um, we all suffer pain. We all suffer. Um, we all have similar feelings about uh, life. We all have happiness sometimes, joy sometimes, sadness sometimes. So we've got things in common. Um, so, yeah, I think the work I do. I feel passionate that it is part of the global story. It's not separate. So, for instance, mm. like black history, I don't see it's not separate. It's not a separate part of history. Uh, it's part of the it's part of the global story. Mm. Um, it's a chapter in the book of life, I call it, <laughs> in that um, it's a missing chapter. And I think as researchers, our goal should be to help put those pages in the book of life, i.e. put those chapters of history um and and societal change i put that in the story of life um of how humans exist and how we exist in the past so i'm passionate about seeing the bigger picture in that as a researcher historian that we don't shut ourselves off as people um you do as a student you often you know by yourself studying <laughs> reading but there's a, you're part of you're part of a bigger picture so it's always always having that in your mind as well as your own kind of smaller micro kind of um world there's the national you know you've got you're working for brit you know in this country to un to help people understand how they can live in this in this context of, of britain um, but then the global the gl the world you know what i mean we fit in the world <laughs> we are not separate we we're just not um so so that's how I always think. I always think on different levels, you know what I mean? How can I make mm -hmm. those small changes in order to make local change, um, positive change, in order to make national change and global change? Um, and we can do it. I think everyone can do it. 
That's an inspiring note to end on. So thank you so much for coming on What's the Point? It's been an absolute honour to talk to you today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to What's the Point? If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe. You can also find us on Twitter at WTPpod underscore and send us a DM if you want to get in touch. We'll see you next time with a brand new episode.